We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And as we still await official word on Anthony Davis, Lakers have a pretty big game tonight, Mike, playing the Sacramento Kings. We sat a bunch of guys on Monday night, somewhat presumably, to have a better chance at winning tonight. And so Sacramento is one of the surprise teams in a very jumbled West at 16 and 13. What kind of leads off the game for you tonight, Mike? Well, the first thing would be LeBron coming back. You know, he's the one that changes on the injury reports to probable. And with Anthony Davis out, LeBron is kind of the whole key now. He is the whole thing that can unlock a defense and that can uh, that can lead his own defense and sort of think the Lakers through games as he did the previous one. So that's the first thing. The second one is more of a question. It's it's Westbrook is literally questionable for the game. Although I, I typically go into games, Pete, thinking that questionable is more of a chance to play than not. Because mm-hmm. if 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 it's really looking like a guy isn't going to play, teams are going to list him as doubtful now or out. And unfortunately, that's where Austin Reeves lies. And mm. so just knowing Austin, hearing his comments, like I I was in the locker room after he spoke about his likelihood or not to play in Phoenix after the Denver game and, or sorry, after the Washington game. Uh, And he was basically like, yeah, as long as I can walk, I'm going to play that. This is the way that I am. And and that is the way that he is. I think then you get, you take the sprained ankle to the training staff and they say, this doesn't look great. Like you can't play next game. You know, you need another game where you can, Hey, uh, lay off of it. So I haven't spoken to Austin individually. I'll do that once I get to the arena. But you know that is that is a loss. Certainly, Pete. He would be after LeBron and AD. Oh, yeah. That's probably the third guy that I want in the closing lineup uh, on this team. So no Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with LeBron and looking like at least possibly Russ off the bench, you at least have the chance to have a more fluid overall rotation. You can plug some guys in. You can play Dennis more. His usage and uh, and effectiveness went up you know, against Phoenix, certainly as he went for over 30, he was hitting the shots. So it's a it's a game that the Lakers can win. 
you know, whereas that game going into that Phoenix game, you, you were thinking more something has to happen weird in this yeah. game you know, for things to work out how the Lakers want them to. And, and that's not the case here, um, even if Sacramento presents certainly some problems, especially against this Lakers defense without AD. Yeah, for sure. It's it's something that without AD, like all hands on deck, that's been one of Stu's keys to the game a couple of times uh, recently, right, is that everybody's got to do what they do well, right? And so being without Austin, I think, is a, a real killer. Without AD, I think that if we have most of our primary guys or next to all of them, I think that we're in good shape. But I think that we're teetering right on that, like, oh, this is going to be a really bad team if you start losing one or two more uh, of the main guys involved in that. And Austin's become that, right? Austin's become really one of the great, uh, the the really good skill guards on our team that um, toward the end of the game against the Wizards, for example, the way that we decided to beat their trap was have Austin sit screens and slip that in, just make little one-footed floaters, right? And he just has this kind of in-between game and skilled game that really complements a lot of the power and attack on the rim that we have that without that, I think that, you know, we're a lot easier to guard without kind of that complementary skill out on the perimeter. And then on the defensive end, yeah, Mike, that's that's the main thing that I go into tonight's game on is like, how do you slow down Fox? Um, I think that TB is a lot more well-equipped to defend and Sabonis than some of the other guys, but it's really going to be Fox coming downhill that I'm worried about. So that's that's one of the first places that I go to with them is how to defend De'Aaron Fox and, you know, with the, the personnel that we have. And to me, it's a lot of perimeter help, right? And we've yeah. been switching a little bit more. I'm curious to see if we do more of that. But basically, this is it's a matter of trying to keep him in front of you. And that's easier said than done. Yeah, so I read Darius's preview. Um, and shout out to Darius, who isn't with us this morning. One of the keys that he pointed out, so of course Fox, like I, there isn't necessarily a great solution there when you don't have that type of rim protection and that second level with AD. But with Sabonis, he's a tough cover. And Thomas Bryant, we, we spent a lot of time on Bryant and a little bit less time on Gabriel and Jones on the last podcast, just kind of thinking about defense. And I'm looking at it a bit more holistically as in terms of how what else Sacramento does. But you know, Sabonis is somebody that Bryant can bang with. But Darius brought up, well, maybe that's one of those, especially in the second half, LeBron type of matchups at a certain point where, like LeBron, you can't move him and he's quick enough to kind of stay with Sabonis and Sabonis isn't going to get the whistle if he tries to just run over LeBron, not that he can. And I wonder, Pete, how often can the Lakers do that? How does that limit what else LeBron can do? How much energy does that take out of him when he has responsibility on the other end? And how much do you see that factoring in? Yeah, no, that's something that is going to have to be in our bag of tricks more and more. Because I think with TB, it's a matter of like, how do we survive defensively those minutes? But to win games against good teams, especially on the road, you got to do more than survive. You got to play good basketball. And I think our best path to there are a couple of routes that we can go, Mike. We can have a Wenyan at the five, which is what he's predominantly played this year. We're playing a little more two big lineups uh, recently. And so, uh, you know, he came back against Phoenix. And so he played a lot of four in that game. Um, but you can have have Wenyan if you want to run the drops, but in the LeBron at the five groups and guarding Sabonis and those type of matchups, those are more switchy. And that's something that we haven't done a ton of this year, but with AD being out, I wonder if that becomes more of something that we look to do because we have a couple of guys that with LeBron being one of them, LeBron can man that five spot in ways where he's going to win battles on the ground. I'll get to the, you know, 
impact of, you know, how much of an ask is that on him physically in a moment? But just from the basketball standpoint, that's one of the ways that you can slow down Fox is by switching, right? And meaning that if by switching, you don't create that temporary advantage for when a guard goes around the screen. And so you're not kind of like funneling them into the paint. And now if De'Aaron Fox is being guarded by a forward or Wenyan Gabriel or someone like that, is he just going to blow right by them? Are you creating other problems? You still got to help from one pass away. It's still a lot, a lot of issues there, but that's something Mike that like to kind of bridge the TB type of stuff. I could see us doing that a little bit more, but it is an interesting question regarding, regarding like how much does it weigh on LeBron physically? I think that for this team to win, we need him to be more of a big and tap into more of his big man stuff with Anthony Davis being out in particular. That hasn't been the case in kind of his ascension over the last 10 games or so. He's been very much the guard that he's always been and has been dominant in that way on the offensive end in particular. But defensively, we're just lacking in that big man type of help. But what I'll kick that to you, Mike. What are your concerns on that front in year 20 asking LeBron to be a, a big? Oh man, my concerns, LeBron year 20, I was, I was ready to give you my typical answer, but then you said as a big, and I, I like him as a big, I mean, he's, he's great as as a big, uh, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, can, if he's transitioning to doing that a little bit more, how much does that impact an offensive perspective with LeBron where he's, you know, where he's getting a little bit lower on that end too, and playing a little bit more as a big man and, and maybe even drawing a double and posting up, but but that's just different from how he generally plays. I'm just thinking now, like with, with Schroeder and the ability to his, he's the one guy whose usage can increase and not have the efficiency just completely go out the window. And we saw that we just saw that in Phoenix. Like he, he is capable of doing that before. Um, I think I did a sideline hit on in Atlanta, his last year there, he took 17 shots a game. Uh, That's, you know, that, that in Mm -hmm. its own right is a skill. Like there are not that many people on earth that can take NBA 17 shots in an NBA game and have, you know, at least relatively decent efficiency. So he can get himself open. Yep. He can shake himself free. He can sometimes get all the way to the rim. Um, he can be a little bit cagey. He's doing like the Chris Paul swing through type stuff, which isn't my favorite, but does work um, at times. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and the point being, if he can do that some, and then I think Westbrook's minutes are going to have to go up. Like he only played 23 against Washington. He didn't play crunch time. Reeves was on the court and that was helping the Lakers. Like the Lakers ended up winning. But in this case, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to play Russ 23 minutes again. Uh, unless, well, even if Troy Brown, Troy Brown played 10 minutes in that game, Austin didn't play. And even mm-hmm. in that one, right, he went way up. Uh, or Sorry, Troy Brown played 10 and Westbrook still t- stayed at 23. So I'm to get back to the LeBron point of this, if he is operating a little bit less off of the basketball and either as a threat, like on the low block or even just sometimes spaced out um, as a three point shooter, then fine. Because all of the things that he can do connectively and some of them on defense, some of them on offense, I, I think the Lakers need those things too. It's, it's a huge ask for LeBron. I spoke about this earlier being a concern for when AD does eventually come back that, you know, that now it's LeBron that's been asked to do more than, than what he should have to do at this point, but that that's sort of, otherwise the Lakers aren't going to win games. (laughs) And that's the conundrum I think of, of where things are at this point. 
yeah, no, if we want to win right now, that's something that we, we're going to need more from him. And I really go more to the defensive end in terms of asking him to be a big on offense. I think that when TB is on the court, LeBron is very much more of the guard. But if TB is not on the court, I think that's when he becomes more of that role man. We've seen some connection with Russ is in, in two-man game with LeBron as the rolling big and things like that. But it's the defensive end where my concerns come in on the like – are we asking LeBron to do this for like 10, 15 games is something that is not is something that's going to wear down on him. And so I think that the guys that we put around him to support him are really important. And so the guys that I think of, Mike, are the guys who can play a little bit up from their size and position in the other positions, because if LeBron's going to be at the five, I think it's important to have the other spots be pretty big type of players. And so Russ plays into that. Pat Bev, who's been playing better lately, he's somebody who plays into that. Dennis can guard up a little bit as well on the ball, at least. Um, but also Max Christie, he's somebody that has entered the rotation. And so um, let's take an early break here. And when we come back, want to get into Max's game a little bit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So, Mike, Max is someone you've talked to a bit recently, uh, and he's developed quite a bit. I'm curious what you found out. Other than just general chatter um, with Max, and I like Max. He's which which is not relevant, by the way, to this discussion. I'm, I'm just throwing that in there as a little side bonus. You know, <laughs> he's literally half my age, which is interesting. Like, I, I don't, I don't 
I haven't had that many conversations with an NBA player who's half my age. I came in in the league at age 25, or I guess age 24 uh, with the Timberwolves. And so Max is not your, not yet turned 20. Um, and I just turned 41, but he's kind of, he's just like, he's a very cerebral, um, looking in the eye, like ready to chat. He's not necessarily the loudest guy where he's going to come up and, and just always have something to say. In fact, I asked Russ about him the other day and Russ said that he's, he's an eager listener to the point where he's kind of looking up mm-hmm. and seeing if there's some information that he can take in, which I think is a great skill set to have, um, especially oh, yeah. as a rookie. And somebody that doesn't just assume that they know everything, even though he comes from a basketball family um, and, you know, his mother connected to my alma mater, shout out Northwestern University. So he's he's got some of these these um, pedigree type characteristics and also being a McDonald's All-American. But then things got a little bit like he went to Michigan State in his one year and he didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He only shot 31 percent. But in one season, and especially in, in with relatively low usage it's always an interesting number because going into the draft scouts might look at that and say i don't know if you're not shooting the ball well at the three-point level or three-point line at the college level how's that going to translate and and that to me represents a lot of upside if you if you have scouts like the lakers do led by jesse buss and you know ultimately rob palenka making the draft pick but all right well this guy's got a great frame he's got a great body he's got a good athleticism he seems to be a smart player the shot didn't look great at that level, but I don't know. Are there are there segments of it that we can see? So that, Pete, is the first thing that I've been talking about with Max and partly coming from you and Darius kind of Zapruder film analyzing uh, the shot, you know, in on tape. And the thing that he told me, because it clearly is looking better, obviously, than it did in summer league and even in training camp and even earlier in the season. And it's not just the percentages, which are over 40. And by the way, in the G League, 12 for 19. Uh, I think at least I think that's the number. Check my tweet on it but it was over 60%. And the ball seems to be coming out a little sooner and it just seems to be mm-hmm. looking a little bit smoother. And what he told me was that he, for a, for a long time, he was having the ball sort of go get all the way into his palm before he released it. Uh, and what he's been doing recently is catching and essentially releasing it just from his fingertips. So catch a quick boom. It's out. It's it's the fingertips. It's the follow through. Um, I'm doing the motion to Pete, and um, I can tell that he doesn't like it. My motion because I forgot to get my elbow more tucked in. Um, <laughs> I gotta I gotta have you come work with. with oh, my it's kids, less about the way. elbow. We, we we can have a whole yeah we can have a whole discussion on having your elbow in. And I'm not an elbow in entirely believer. I think it's oh, more about right. having well, your okay. mid, your your middle finger aligned with the middle of the room with the back rings on the rim. And so everybody's elbow is kind of different in that respect. But there are lots of theories on on this front. Now I'm hardly a shooting coach. Okay, well, more more of a shooting coach than me. Alas, what does that tell you about Max, about the stroke? How does that look like, not just with what you've seen, but hearing that that's kind of the adjustment that he's basically made on his own. That wasn't something that a coach told him to do. It was just something that he was taking a million shots and it it just started to feel better to him to do that way. And clearly it's having some success uh, in the games. Yeah, that's something that is one of the the things that you teach, right, is to keep the ball off of your palm. One of the things that I was taught on how to teach shooting was uh, was waiter position, right? So you've got, you pretend that you're a waiter carrying a tray. And so you've got kind of an alignment between your elbow and your wrist. And the way that the ball like fits as the, the tray uh, in waiter position, the way the ball fits there, you want to keep it off of your palm and onto your finger pads, right? So the finger pads being the the parts that are right below where your fingers start. And so that right there is that adjustment is something that uh, 
I'm I'm so glad to hear that he's done that because that's something that Mike you hear about uh, and I don't follow the draft in college the way that I that I used to um but you hear about a player's archetype. Okay, he's a three and D guy. They think he can be a sh- shooter, even though his percentages are low. But from watching him in summer league, I was like, "Wow, I love how this kid defends." Like he flipped in my mind, Mike, from being a potential shooter to a defensive player who could possibly shoot. But the shooting was super concerning to me, right? In that it was like, "Oh, this is so slow." He's got such a glacial shooting stroke that it's like, "Dude, you're never going to be open in the NBA if it takes you that long to get it up." And and so and he's got a high release point. He's got good size at six six. I feel like he's grown over the, since he was drafted just a little bit. And so, well, here the so to to hit on the growth part, this is kind of the second anecdote that I have with him. And I think I've told I told this on the air, um, but if you didn't watch one of the previous games, basically I walked into the locker room and being next to Max in person, you're kind of like, hey man, I don't want to be weird uh, about this, but like you you put on some muscle, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, I don't know the right <laughs> yeah. way to ask this, but like, I, I need this information because that's what it looks like. And he was like, he's like, yeah, man, you know, he's kind of like excited to talk about it. So he came in at 189 um, when he came to the Lakers and now he's 200 and that's 11 pounds of muscle and you can see it. I, I assume yep. you can see it, Pete, on the TV. Um, you can probably see it when you walk, when you watch him at practice uh, at the Lakers facility, right? Uh, well, I watched him a couple G League games. That's been one of my favorite things lately, right, is to work my work day and then walk to the other side of the building and grab a beer and, a, a you know, some food and watch a G League game right behind the bench. And that's one of the things, like, he's next to guys who are considered big guards, right, like Shaq Harrison, for example, um, and or like L- LJ Figueroa. I think LJ is a little bit bigger than him and more of a forward type, but it's like – Yo, Max is bigger than these big guards that are on his team and on the, the other team. And he's got such a baby face and he's just like, seems like a very nice kid, 19 years old and all that. It's hard to like kind of square those two things. But we've seen that in games, Mike, that that size and physicality kind of, he leverages that I think best on uh, on the boards. But yeah, it's something that that positional yeah. size, that Bert Katerm, you know, it's something that he really brings to the table that tying back into tonight's game against Sacramento, he's one of those guys along with, if you can put a Russ and a Bev and a max and pretty soon at those guard positions like yeah they're guards but they're they can mix it up a little bit in the paint and you get enough of them and all of a sudden i think those lebron at the five lineups become more tenable not just in terms of winning games but also in terms of the ask that you're putting on lebron to just like be a big man and and be the guy that holds it down the way that ad does so i actually think max is super important in this upcoming stretch so it made me Let's let's translate that now, right? And, and and by the way, I have I don't love to do comps, but I since we just saw Phoenix in person, and there was a player there that made me that makes me think a little bit of Max um, that I'll get to in a second. But what happened? The simple thing that happened rotation wise a couple of games ago is that Max Christie started to get the minutes that were going to Dennis or to Kendrick Nunn alongside mm-hmm. either Shooter or Westbrook in in these sort of tiny four guard lineups and you, we had been talking about that and if if Darvin Ham is able to kind of trust Max who had been kind of up and down with the with South Bay and because they wanted to get some more game action but then there was a point where yeah l- let's let's go ahead and just have him play over none so none didn't play in the Washington game and of course in this game Austin played 34 minutes so that's going to be changing so now none sort of has to step into that those other minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Beverly didn't play either. So none doesn't actually technically have to play in this context, but um, we, eh, he probably does, honestly. 
He probably does off the bench. But <laughs> if if in your if when Austin is back, I think that's been so far. That's that's the right type of move, and it does change a lot of things with that bench, especially with Wenyan back. So you go from having mm-hmm. one of the centers in, or even LeBron playing with four guards um, to having possibly Thomas next to Wenyan, unless of course Bryant could sit in this context too. But you have at least one of the two bigs. Um, as mm-hmm. I'm being a little bit more rambling uh, than than preferable here. But Matt, the difference between Christie and Nunn is big on defense and on the glass. Oh, yeah. And it's something that I think is is the right evolution of where this team could be. And it lets them be a little bit more solid, especially on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, I like it too because, you know, Christie's going to be a low usage player, but he's just going to be open. Or he's going to be relatively open. He's still not a guy that I think teams are super running at although they did close out more aggressively in Phoenix. Um, whereas if Kendrick Nunn's in, he's sort of, he just kind of gravitates towards where the ball is. That's the player that he's always been. And, yep. and then that might take some usage away from somebody else that should have it. And Max can also hit the offensive glass. So uh, I just thought that even at age 19, it's not, it's not like a development move to, Hey, let's just, you know what? We don't know where the season's going. Let's play the young guy. It's a, no, he, the team's going to be better off in yep. these minutes when he's playing, which to me is a significant difference. Yeah, it was something I've been thinking since the since early on. I was like, oh, I wish Max was 23 years old. But really his progress, especially as a shooter, right, that glacial shooting stroke, he's getting those up quickly and they look good when he's missing. It's just a little bit long. Uh, and But it just looks like a different shot. And that's really a game changer because precisely because – Max can have a good game without scoring a lot of points, which speaks to your point about usage, right? Whereas guys like Kendrick Nunn or even Lonnie, like Lonnie needs to score to have a good game. That's just the players that that Kendrick and Lonnie are. And we've got enough of those guys to where you just run out of shots when you got to get shots for Dennis and Austin and Lonnie and, you know, and obviously LeBron and AD when he's healthy. And so we just have a lot of high usage guys. And so players who can have a good game while scoring scoring four points are super valuable and we've those they've been in short supply on our team and so max's ability uh defensively and on the boards um really that's where that really shows up and i think it allows everybody to kind of play their game and get their normal amount of shots in those other positions while he can still contribute in that respect and and he's gotten some good reps these last couple games mike he had some uh some I thought he did some good work against Bradley Beal. He did some less good work against Chris Paul, who put him in the mixer a few times, but it's good experience at the very least. And I also thought that Phoenix game showed why he's a secondary complimentary player, especially at this point. He doesn't have the ball handling and shot creation to kind of get his own. He turned the ball over a couple of times. And so he obviously has weaknesses in his game as a 19-year-old rookie uh, second-round pick. But I think that ability to have a good game without scoring a lot of points is something that's super useful really on any team but on this Lakers team in particular. Copying players is not my favorite thing to do because it's it's such a, an inexact science and something that I feel like should be clo- more exact when you're really comping players. But I, it's something that I always used to do when the Lakers had so many young guys because it's like, yeah, yeah. this guy is not going to be awesome thinking of D'Angelo Russell or Brandon Ingram at just because he was the second overall pick at age 19 in the NBA. And so I was always trying to find ways to compare, you know, some of these players to more accomplished players that uh, in what they did when they were rookies and what they did when they were in college. And part of this is recency bias. But I was watching um, I was watching Mikel Bridges. And, mm. of course, we've all watched him for, for a few years now. 
but in Phoenix. And just kind of the way that he moves defensively, the way that he competes, the the pedigree in terms of like his his family and and we knew like Bridges, his mom like worked in the NBA and it just he, he just seemed like he was kind of like a nice unassuming kid but really competed hard really played hard so mm-hmm. there's some that's one of the things so bridges is six seven and he's got insanely long arms i think even longer um than max but bridges entered the nba at age 22 and so he played three years at villanova and so his mm-hmm. freshman year he was actually older than max in max's freshman year max was a young freshman and in his freshman year at villanova bridges he played 40 games. He didn't start, um, played 20 minutes per game, and he shot 29% from three, right? Like 6.4 points. But, but at that point, already a decent defensive player, three rebounds. Mm-hmm. Next year, um, starter, plays 30 minutes a game, shooting percentage up to 39. Junior year, shooting percentage from three um, up to 43.5 points up to 18. You know, like has a great has a great season. And then, of course, he gets he ends up getting drafted. Uh, and traded on draft day uh, for from Phoenix or from Philly to Phoenix. And then his freshman or his rookie year in the NBA, age 22 season again, 33% from three. And so th- this is one of those things with strength. You could tell like he's, you know, Bridges didn't come in NBA strong. He's had to kind of build it up. He's got such a slight frame. But then, then the next year, 36%, then 42%. And he's since dipped since that peak a little bit. But he's he's been up there like he's at 40% this year. He's at 37 last year. A, a good shooter, not a completely pure like knockdown shooter, but a really good shooter uh, and has the link to get it off and then focuses on defense. He never misses games. So that's just one that's come into my head recently. And I wondered if, if you can if you could see that at all. I certainly see the stylistic comparison. I would be thrilled generous, if it becomes the, yeah. the caliber of player, right? It's certainly something to to shoot for. But I always look at like what is the rate of improvement in a in a young player. That's something that especially from covering the game the last few years as my job, that, that was one of the things I learned from the first batch of watching the young guys and like, oh, I think this guy's gonna be this. And then seeing how the actual five years develop, like, oh, I see, right? Like it's really a guy who can absorb so what you were talking about, about being an eager listener that Russ pointed out, I think that's a super underrated thing for a young player to have. And that like, you got all these experts around you. You play on a basketball team with LeBron James and you play on a basketball team with AD and even Russ, right? These, these are top 75 guys of all time that have all sorts of tips and tricks and things like that, that they can help add to your game. And it's really incumbent upon you to help try to learn that while also doing the individual work yourself. Cause they're not going to go out of their way to have, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they will have a, a great, you know, film session with a, a younger player. Right. Uh, but that ability to absorb information from around you, I think is super important. And your comparison to bridges begs the question of like, would have bridges been, would bridges have been a second round pick after his freshman season? Um, I think the comparison is interesting too, because both Jay Wright, the coach of Villanova of Villanova, and Tom Izzo, the coach of Michigan State, will demand that their players play defense. And so that's one of the things I think about with Max's three-point shooting percentage at Michigan State was like, well, yeah, he was one of only two freshmen to ever play 30 minutes a game for Tom Izzo. And when you watch Max play defense, it's like, no, he's playing hard the whole time. He's chopping his feet, has his closeout hand up. He's doing everything correctly, which takes a certain amount of effort and legs. And that's something that I think the added strength, those 11 pounds of muscle that you were talking about, uh, Mike, 
I think really comes into play because his 18 footers looked fine in summer league. It's just, he wasn't able to to really get it up from three. And so I, I love the comp. I certainly hope he becomes that caliber of player. It's going to take a little bit of time, but that rate of growth is one of the things that I'm really keeping an eye out of. And we've seen in Austin too, right? He's a guy that's, he's a better player than he was last season. And so those type of guys that can absorb what's around them, I think is a super important skill. And everybody raves about Max in that respect. Yeah, so I remember I did a piece in September with Jesse Buss, and part of it was about Max, and that's where what you had cited earlier, Pete, the quote about Bill Berka and loving the positional size of a player like him, or true size for his position, was what was the quote. And I remember in talking to Jesse, they thought one of the reasons they liked him was that they assumed, and I think now rightly, if if you just think about it, Christy had he gone back to Michigan State. He's a lottery pick the next year because his, his mm-hmm. shooting is just no doubt going to get better. His role is going to get better. He's going to get strong. Like all the stuff that he's doing now, he was going to do at Michigan State. You know, he was going to be listening to Tom Izzo and to some uh, to some other people there. Here, he's been listening to the Lakers professional coaches and ideally mm-hmm. getting some tips from play, you know from players like LeBron and um and, and even a young player like an Austin Reeves. Like there, there's a lot there, and that's a whole nother debate. Like how how much better do you get? as an NBA player at age 19 versus if you stay in college. And, and I think that mm. back in the, in the days where people were more staunchly defending the college programs, it was more, <laughs> Oh no, why don't you, why don't you stay and develop more? And I'm like, well, I think you actually, if it's your, your if your whole job is to just get yeah. a better basketball. It's every an day. absurd argument. I used to have this argument yeah. on the internet all the time, Mike. So please preach it. Well, good. I can see we're on the same page then. It, it like the, and I think what, it's a subtle it's a subtlety of the argument because I think the real argument for staying is more when I see you in the NBA for the first time, you're gonna be better if you come in a year older. So yeah. right versus like versus the player that you are is overall better because of because you were a professional. So that, that to me is a silly argument. Like of course it's gonna be if you're at the NBA level. Um unless, and this is where I even think about my kids like playing youth sports right now, unless you make a you're on a great team and you just don't play that much then like mm-hmm. that's not ideal for growth always like you do need to play and p- even if it's college like playing 40 high pressure college games versus playing like you know five nba games and but the g league has solved a lot of that you know for in terms of reps and all that kind of stuff and so that's to, i'm getting sidetracked from max here but to, to get back to him that was part of what jesse was telling me is that like Remember in some of the the Laker hits in the draft in the past were guys like Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma, who older guys, yeah, because they stayed, some mm-hmm. of the shine went off in teams thinking that they could find a star early in the lottery, and so you're grabbing those guys at twenty seven. Larry Nance, another one at twenty seven yep. and at thirty, and uh, in those types of spots. And well, the inverse of that is to take a guy who didn't have, who's got the pedigree may not have had his best uh, freshman season from a couple of different perspectives. But in this case, it could have been just, just been because Max's three-point shooting stroke, which he hadn't quite changed yet to the what we talked about earlier in the podcast, and he shot 31%, and teams are just looking at it and like, I don't know, you know, 31%. Because I don't know what the other knocks really, you know, would have been on him. And I'm not – at this point, I've seen a lot of the guys that went in the late first round, right, who I would rather have Max – um, then, but I didn't watch those guys play in college, so it's not a complete picture that I'm giving. We'd, I'd have to actually, I'd have to more like ask Jesse, um, right, in that kind of a context. But it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at all of it. And y- like, yes, Bridges has developed in the absolutely ideal way 
Uh, and he gets credit for that. Phoenix gets some credit for that. But and it's I just don't think that it's ridiculous. Again, Max is 19. Um, Bridges right now is is he 26? Yeah, Bridges is, is in his is year 26, so he's turning 27 at some point um, this year. And when he was a when he his first year in the NBA, I, I mentioned some of the numbers earlier, but like eight points, three rebounds, you know, shot 33% from three. It's just a it's it's an important thing to look at from a trajectory standpoint. That said, for Max to have impact on what is otherwise like a pretty veteran team, you know, that's that's where you get into the whole how much time do you have to let it develop and how many minutes can he hold? And but I but that's where Pete, I think that the fact he's shown that he can play right now. Uh, and be yeah, and be. I don't know about a net ratings positive yet. Like that's we got to have a little bit more of a sample. But you know, so far so good. Yeah, so far so good on that front. He's been one of our best guys in a small sample in that respect. And if you zoom into the present day, like normally on this veteran team, no, he probably wouldn't get playing time. But Anthony Davis is out. Austin Reeves is trying to play through a, a sprained ankle that it sounds like the medical staff is trying to stay more cautious on, right? And Russ is questionable. There's opportunity right now to get that playing time, even if it's not what the Lakers would write down on paper. And so this is that chance to be able to play. And that's the one thing about staying in college versus going pro is that like to get better at playing basketball, you need to play basketball. And if there's a certain point where if you just don't play at all, uh, and the G League certainly helps um, in in this respect, but yeah, it's important to, to play. And so this is an opportunity for Max. It's an opportunity for the team too, even like projecting out beyond this season between Austin and Max, like that's a potential starting backcourt in a couple of years, you know? And that's something with an undrafted guy and a second round guy that's on on a team that really pursues star players and a top heavy type of team, that's exactly one of the reasons why I think we can do that is the strength of the scouting department is that like, no, we can find guys who can play in the second round. We can find undrafted type guys in the G League, your Wenyans, your Stanleys that can contribute on some level and, and play some sort of uh contribute on both ends of the floor to a certain degree. Now, you do still need a middle class of players within that, but I actually think that guys like Max and Austin, and I already consider Austin in this place, and Max can get to that point, right? And so that's something that even beyond this year, I see a potential Lakers starting backcourt going forward, and that's it's exciting to think about. Well, there I was I was muted, but I caught myself on like Darius. I thought about just talking for a second so you could, so we could, you know, shout out to him uh, yeah. at least once a pod. <laughs> Darius, you're muted. The... Yeah, I mean, so Max and Austin as starting backcourt, I think the first instinct, and this is this probably goes into the very fact that they were undrafted in second round pick. You're kind of like, well, hold on, don't you need don't you need one of those guys, you know, for the Lakers to be that at that star level, and then one of the two between or I mean a guy from the outside at this point, clearly that's not on the roster. And then one mm-hmm. of those guys maybe either coming off the bench or even you I could see Max sliding up to three. Um, in, oh, absolutely. Yep. Right. In certain configurations. And then that a lot could because I do see him still more. Um, and this is, again, part of what the Bridges comp is, where he's Bridges is not a high usage player, um, but he's started to add every year a couple of things where now if you close out mm-hmm. hard on him, he can he can take a couple dribbles and pull up oh, yeah. and hit a jumper or he can he can take a Euro step and finish at the rim. And that's where I can I could see Max then as that. A totally different type of player, but kind of like a KCP, 
you know, where mm. where he's like he's bigger than KCP. I think he's got a chance to be even better defensively because of that a better rebounder. But KCP could be out in the corner and hit threes reliably. I think he's fifth in, this, in the NBA this year in percentage. And then, you know, he can occasionally if you give him a ball screen, he can make something happen. Now, KCP, ha- I don't we don't love him in transition. Um, in terms of the, the drive, he's always going to run. But you remember when the, is he going to finish this play? Right. Oh, that sure, whole, sure. Yeah, no, I like KCP question, in transition, but if he had the ball in his hands, there were some yes. adventures for sure. That's yes. what I'm saying. Like there are some, <laughs> there are some limitations to KCP, but like they, he, he really did fit in nicely as a, as kind of that fifth, you know, that fourth, fifth starter um, alongside guys that did take a lot of the usage, like the LeBron and the AD mm-hmm. and then somebody else. And so if, and then, you know, Austin does have some, again, a very different player, than Alex Caruso, but the utility in terms of he's going to help you doing different things on both sides of the court, um, right? And in that in you got him for cheap. So yeah, those are yep. th- there are similarities between the types of players the Lakers have gotten through the draft or through at, at the end of the draft and through their G League and the two way system. And then we're right back to the larger issue of who is that next star going to be, right? That that really mm-hmm. puts you into the type of playoff and type of title contention, but. I think that it's already a good conversation when you're talking about thinking where Max could evolve and when a lot of teams at with the 35th pick, and by the way, the Lakers bought this one from Orlando. Um, it wasn't there yep. to start with. Yep. That you can already start to see a pretty clear future and it doesn't sound you know, silly at all. Yeah, and a guy that we were projecting was a lottery going to be a lottery pick if he was in this year's draft, right? Or, or close to it. And, and so that's something that that's a great find. It's getting these wins are huge for the the organization. And just one last thing on him that we didn't even bring up is he's more athletic than I expected him to be. He had a block on Kuz in transition the other day where Kuz shot this, like one of these one footed, uh, it was supposed to be a bank shot, I think. And that's a six, nine guy releasing it. Right. And, Max chased it down and he, he blocked it. Like most guys don't get to that block. And he's just had several rebounds, things like that, where I'm like, whoa, like the way Chick used to do that, right? Like that, that, like, wow, look at him get up, you know? And so there's, along with the strength and the improved skill set and things like that, there's a certain level of just athletic pop that's like, oh, check this guy out. That, um, very excited to see where Max's career goes. And I think he's got a huge opportunity to see what he can do right now. And so we will be back tomorrow, talk about how tonight's game against the Kings went but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they win lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry.
add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.